today we're going to talk on the book of 3 John. Now, 3 John is actually a letter. It's a letter written by John to a specific person. Now, John uh, wrote a number of uh, books in the Bible. We call them books. He wrote uh, two other letters that are recorded for us in the Bible. He probably wrote a lot of letters, but the, the book of 1 John is a letter, and, and 2 John, which I just mentioned. And, um, and these are letters that he wrote, and they weren't referred to as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John at the time, but for understanding and clarity of what we're referring to, they've become known as that. But John was actually the first cousin of Jesus, his mom and Jesus' earthly mother, Mary, were sisters. So he was well acquainted with Jesus. He actually wrote one of the biographies, the biographical accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John. He also wrote the very last book of the Bible, the last book in the New Testament, the, the book of Revelation, which was this amazing vision, a revelation that was given to him about uh, things that were yet to come. But it points us, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. So don't ever get confused when you read the book of Revelation and wonder about all the end time implications. It's The giveaway is in the name of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about revealing who Jesus is in the midst of whatever's happening in life. So John, John was well acquainted with um, with uh, Jesus, and he, and he had a close relationship with him. And so he gets ready to write this letter. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of read through the entire letter, not in one fail swoop, but section by section and unpack what it uh, means for us and what we can glean from it and understand for our lives here today. So let's start in Third John, the first two verses. The elder, who's John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, to my dear friend Gaius, my dear close friend, beloved, dear friend, I pray. Everyone say, I pray. Okay, that's very important. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now, you can hear that, and if you know it's a letter that's being written, you might not think much about it. It's, it's a standard greeting, and it is. If you were here last week when uh, Bob spoke on Philemon, you remember that he said when it comes to understanding the Bible, uh, there's three things that you need, or four things you need to kind of bear in mind. What's the context? What's the culture? What are the details? And who's the audience? So what's the context? It's a letter. It's a letter being written. What's the culture? It is a, it's a, a Near Eastern, a, a Jewish, an Asian Jewish mindset. Uh, it is, who's the audience? It's this man named Gaius, and the details are what he wants to talk about. It's a personal letter. The problem is that sometimes people can read this opening statement, especially the part that's highlighted. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers, and make a theological directive out of it. They say, they forget the I pray part, and they just say you should be in good health and prosper just as your soul prospers. And they say that is a directive from God, that if you're right spiritually, then you ought to be healthy and wealthy, that you, you ought to be blessed financially, you ought to never be sick, you ought to uh, just be well in your health because your soul is prospering and in the same way you ought to. But they forget that this is a prayer. It's not a theological demand. It's not a... It's... it's there's nothing wrong. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe God wants to bring healing into our lives. When I pray for you all, I pray, God, bless them. Bless them in every way possible. 
Pray for your businesses and your finances and your relationships and your marriage, right? If you write a letter to someone, say, man, I, I hope everything is going well in your life. Pray for you. That, that's, what, that's what John is doing. I, I hope everything's well in your life. And so I believe he's praying that for guys because he knows that Gaius is in a good place with the Lord, as we're going to see later on in his letter. He, he knows that he's, 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 um, just, he's flourishing spiritually. And he says, in the same way, I want you to flourish in every aspect of your life. And I'm praying to God for that. But what it doesn't mean is that if somehow you're sick, if somehow your finances aren't flush right now, it doesn't mean that there's somehow you're, you're off spiritually. There's some sin that you haven't dealt with. In some way or the other, you're, you're not right in your relationship with God. He's not making that kind of statement, but we can go there if we don't take the time to properly understand and interpret the Bible. So it's very important to understand, to pray, to ask for wisdom and discernment so that we can rightly divide the word of God. Because you're going to read a lot of things on the internet, hear a lot of things on podcasts and blogs and all those kind of things, and it's easy to get confused and to be led astray. But we need to train ourselves to discern what is right. And so, please hear me. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe God wants to pour healing into our lives. But it, it is not, this is not a theological directive. And then he goes on and says this. He says, some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness, that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. So let, let me give you a little understanding, a little of the cultural context of what's happening. So this is the early church. This is some 2,000 years ago. And what would happen is God, through Jesus, uh, Jesus established, set aside 10 apostles. Now, over time, there were other people that were considered apostles, but Jesus established these 12 apostles and he gave them teaching and instruction and all those things. And of course, if you're familiar with the Bible, one of them betrays him, a man named Judas. Um, but these 12 apostles of Jesus uh, are, are integral into what God's doing. And so those 12 apostles would then teach and train other people, and they would send them out. Nobody got sent out on their own. They got sent out, commissioned through the apostles and through pastoral leadership uh, in local churches and city churches and those type things. And, and so they would go, and they would travel, and they would go from town to town, village to village, city to city. And while they were there, they would find uh, followers of Christ, believers in Christ, and they would encourage them. They would teach the truth. They would, uh, they would help them to be, stay grounded in the word. They would build them up in their faith. They would establish churches, start new churches, reach new areas with the message of Christ. It's how the, the, the whole gospel message took a root and grew and flourished in that time. And so when they would show up in that area, uh, followers of Christ, or even some people, if they went to an area that nobody was a follower of Christ, but people who were interested in what they had to teach, they would open up their homes to them, and they would stay there. And that was strategic for two reasons. One, while they were there, there could be a time to, again, encourage, to support, to build up those that were in that house and to just encourage them in their faith. The other reason was it allowed them to stay clear of the local inn. Now, most inns, and the reason that was important is because most inns, not all inns, but most inns in that time were really nothing more than glorified brothels. 
So there was prostitution ha happening, male and female prostitution, uh, and all kinds of things that were unseemly. And so they didn't want these traveling ministers to have to go into that environment. So they say, stay with us. And they'd provide meals, and they would resource them. And after they stayed for a time and a season, sometimes days, weeks, sometimes even months or longer, um, then they would send them on their way to the next town, the next village, the next city, and they would resource them and bless them and send them on their way. There was two issues with this entire way of the, of the church expanding, and, and one two main issues. One was false teachers, those who weren't sent and commissioned by godly leadership, by those that were established uh, through Jesus and then uh, indirectly through Jesus' followers. They just were self-proclaimed teachers, leaders, ministers, evangelists, and they would show up and teach heresy and, and, and false doctrine and spread lies. This is what John dealt with in the, in the letter of 2 John. The other issue was that not a false teacher that was coming, but people in the village, in the town, in the city who refused to hear what the message was. They, they said, we don't want to hear what you have to say. They're closed off to it. They didn't want to hear the message that the, the leaders of the church had. They wanted to be a, a authority unto themselves. They didn't want anyone else speaking into their lives. They didn't want authority. They didn't want any other teaching other than what they already believed and what they wanted to hear. So if John sent somebody, they said, we don't want to hear who John sent. And, and that's what John is dealing with here, and specifically with a man, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him later, named Diotrephes. And Diotrephes just said, we, I don't want that. I don't want to hear anyone speaking into my life. I want to be an authority unto myself. And we see that, sadly, in our day and age, not so much... Um, with uh, people just shutting off others from coming in, although we're going to talk about that. But what we also see it in is those who want to jump from church to church to church because what they don't want is someone speaking into their lives of having, uh, peeling back some of the layers and some of the falsehoods and speaking to things that they believe that are lies and have some type of authority in their life to say, hey, listen, I love you and I know you and I've journeyed on this path with you for a while and I see some things and I'm concerned and you don't want that. You don't want anyone speaking into your life. And so after six weeks, six months, or six years, you go, oh, you know, some of my presuppositions are being challenged. I know God's called me to a new church. And on and on and on it goes. And so that is the issue that, that John's dealing with. But Gaius is not like that. He says, I love it when those that are my children, that those that I have led and nurtured and helped to grow and develop and mature in the things of God, I love it when I find out that they are following the truth. And so what he's saying is that Gaius was willing to not only listen to the truth and receive the truth, but he was willing to walk in the truth. See, there's a lot of people who will listen to the truth, but they won't actually receive it into their heart. They just listen. There's some people that receive it into their heart, but they refuse to walk it out and apply it. But Gaius does all those things. And so this is what it means for you and for me. We must be willing to listen to the truth, receive the truth, and then walk in the truth. Doesn't do you any good to be just a hearer. This is what James says, just be a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. It's like looking at the truth, looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. I know what the truth says, but I'm not gonna do it. 
And so it's very important. As a matter of fact, if you remember in 2 John, the whole, the two main uh, elements in that letter were love and truth, love and truth, love and truth. Because truth is huge in God's economy. As a matter of fact, in this uh, letter of 3 John, as short as it is, the shortest book in all the Bible, the word truth is used six times because it's critically important that we don't just refuse the truth or just hear the truth or believe the truth, but we have to follow, walk in, embrace, apply the truth. So that's what John starts with. And then he moves on to this. He says, dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers. People say all the time, man, I just want to serve God and be faithful. Well, there's one way to do it. We're going to talk about that. You are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue provi- providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So what's John getting at? He's saying, listen, there are these ministers that are traveling. And when you support them, you're not just giving them finances. You are actually partnering with them. You are being in actively engaged in what they're doing as they go and share and preach and strengthen the churches and help the church grow and take root and to, and to mature. You are part of that. And so what that means is that when you're part of the mission of what God wants to do here on earth, that being part of that mission means you, you're partnering And so when you give and when you financially support what God wants to do in the church, you're partnering with him. See, back then, that's the way the church operated. Today, we operate a little bit different, but it's the same idea that when we financially invest into what God is doing in the local church and we support it, we are part of what God's doing. See, when you and I support the local church, you become a partner of the mission. It's not just writing a check. It's not just going online and clicking a donate button. It's not just texting a number and an amount. It's saying, I want to partner with what is happening here. I want to be invested in what's happening here. See, when you give, you're supporting the pastors. You're investing in children. You're pouring into teenagers. You're helping uh, marriages and families. You're supporting those who are struggling. You're giving an opportunity to those who need help and, and counseling to be able to have that and to afford that. And most of all, you are allowing us to share the love, the grace, and the goodness of Jesus Christ. When you partner with the church, you do amazing things. So I just want to say, and it's something we talk about, if you get the year-end letters that we send out with the giving statements, it's never about, look what I was able to do. It's never, look at what the leadership team was able to do. It's, look what we were able to do. Because you are part of it. We partner together. So to those of you who are financially generous, to those of you who are partnering with Hickory Ridge, thank you Thank you, thank you. Look at what we're able to do because of your consistent financial giving. See, when you give to the church, when you bring your tithes, when you give your offering, you are helping us to keep little girls safe from human trafficking. You're helping us to help women find sobriety and to live a life free of addiction and alive in Christ. You're helping us to 
support that single parent who just got out of an abusive situation start over again. You're helping us to provide an education to boys and girls all across the world. And you'll be helping us to build homes and a discipleship program where people can prosper spiritually and learn to prosper in every other way. And most importantly, you help us to reach those who are far from Christ. To reach them with the message of Jesus because he is the only one who can both change their life and their eternity. And when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they also become part of a family of faith, a community of faith, a local church family where they're going to find love and acceptance and support. And they're going to be challenged to grow. And when they're baptized, we're going to celebrate with them. And we're going to walk alongside them through the ups and downs, the goods and bads, the struggles and the hardships in life, because that's what it means to be part of a church family. And so when you give here at Hickory Ridge, it helps us to do so much. And I know for myself, I can't think of anything better that I'd want to give my resources to. So again, to those who give and give faithfully, you are part of what we're doing. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, John doesn't end there. He says, Gaius, I just want to applaud you. I'm praying for you and I want to applaud you for what you're doing. But now there's an issue that I want to deal with. And it's a serious issue. And so he goes on and says this. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader. Now, loves to be the leader is an interesting phrase in the Greek, which is the original language. It means he loves to always be leading. He wants to be first. He loves to be the leader, and he refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I'll report some of the things he's doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. So again, this is John. This is jo John is referred to as John the Beloved or the disciple, the one who Jesus loved. He was arguably Jesus' closest friend, certainly one of his two or three closest friends. So much so that when Jesus was being crucified and dying on the cross, he stops in the middle of all the agony. He pauses, looks at John, and says, take care of my mom when I'm not here. This is your responsibility now. And he took that responsibility very seriously. He took care of Mary from that day forward, the Bible tells us. So there was a closeness with Jesus. But the atrophy says, nope, don't listen to it. It's John. He sent a letter. John, I sent a letter, but Diotrephes refused. He took it and tore it up, threw it in the fire, said, no, we're not going to listen to anything John has to say. So John sent emissaries. He sent messengers. He sent teachers. He said, listen, bring this message. This is very important. Diotrephes said, nope, don't want to hear it. Don't want anything to do with it. See, we don't know what it means that he says he put people out of the church, but we know that Diotrephes wanted to be the only leader he wanted to set himself up to be in total control and he didn't want to hear or receive from anyone. And so when, when anyone else would come, he'd say, nope, nope, put him out of the church. We don't want anything to do with it. He was probably, I can't diagnose this, I don't know the man, he was probably a narcissist. He was certainly controlling and manipulative. And he had no place being in leadership. Why? Because the call to leadership is not simply about leading, it's about serving. 
The call to leadership doesn't simply mean you lead others. It means you serve others. Jesus said of himself, he said the son of man didn't just come to be served. He came to serve and to give and to sacrifice his life for many. He told his disciples, who wants to be the greatest leader among you? He has to be the servant of everyone. Service is leadership. And leaders have to learn how to serve. And that doesn't mean serve yourself, but that's what Diotrephes wanted to do. It was all about him. And so he set this whole thing up and it was very unhealthy. It's, it was spiritual abuse. That someone who is useful to me, as soon as they have a different opinion, a different thought, a different view, they're out. I'm going to kick them out and they have no place here. It's spiritual abuse and it is wrong. It is wrong on so many levels. Now, I would love to tell you that the spiritual abuse that was happening at the hand of diatrophies was a one-off thing. It happened 2,000 years ago. It's recorded for us in the Bible. God shed light on it. He made it clear this is wrong. And for 2,000 years, it's never happened again. But that's not the case. Sadly, spiritual abuse happens too often in the church. Now, to be sure, please hear my heart. I believe the vast majority Far and away, the vast majority of pastors are not narcissists. They're not manipulative. They're not egomaniacs. They're not trying to control people. They have a heart of humility and want to serve. But sadly, there are those that are like this. And they come in and they domineer. They don't want to hear from anyone. They don't want to receive from anyone. So much so that what was Diotrephes doing? He was starting a smear campaign against John. John says, I know what's happening there, and I'm going to expose it, and good for John. John says, listen, I know what's happening, and I'm going to show, I'm going to tell you some of the evil things he's doing. I'm going to shine a light on this. I'm going to reveal it. See, the reason that spiritual abuse is allowed to continue to happen is because leaders who are in a position to stop it refuse to, but John says, not me. When I get there, I'm going to deal with it, and it's going to be dealt with. So for those of you, and I know there's so many here who have experienced spiritual abuse, I am so, so, so very sorry. I've experienced it. And I know so many of you have, and I'm so sorry, but what happened to you isn't of God. I know it's easy to say, but these people represent God. These men and women are supposed to be the best that God has. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry it happened but I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you said, I'm going to give church one more try. And I can promise you here at Hickory Ridge, we are going to do our best by God's grace to be a place where you can find healing and wholeness, where spiritual abuse won't happen. Are we perfect? <laughs> I'm the pastor, so the answer is no, um, quite clearly. Uh, but here's what I know. If we see even a remnant of that, Pastor and Andy and other pastors here and the leaders, we talk about this. If we see spiritual abuse happening or even a, a, an aspect of it, we're gonna deal with it because it's the only way I know how to deal with things is straight on. Hey, this is wrong. We're gonna deal with it in love and in grace with a heart to restore. But like John, we're gonna expose, we're not just gonna turn a blind eye to it and let people be beaten and battered and wounded and say, well, it's just the way it goes sometimes. They should have just been under our authority. God forbid. Now here's what's the most sinister part about spiritual abuse outside of the wounding that happens to the people that are impacted by it. It's that the people that are uh, exercising, that are doing the abuse, 
they don't even see it. Most of them are self-deceived. See, Diotrephes wanted to be seen as the good guy. I'm the protector of the church. I'm protecting the ministry. And why did he want to be seen like that? Because the honest to God probably saw himself like that. He didn't even realize what he was doing because he was walking in spiritual pride. And what he's done at that aspect of his life is he said, I don't want Jesus in this part of my life. So I'm going to do it on my own. And if Jesus, through the apostle John, wants to send someone to speak into my life, no thanks. I've got it all figured out. And that is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be. As a matter of fact, it's so dangerous. Here's what John goes on to say. He says, dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Rather, follow what is good. Remember that those who do good prove they are God's children. Those who do evil, they do not know God. Those that are acting in this way, it's a dangerous place to be. So what is, what is John getting at here? First of all, let me say, he's not talking about sin, about when he says, those who do uh, evil prove they don't know God, and those who do good prove they know God. He's not talking about sin. Because if he's talking about sin, then none of us know God. Okay, are we all on the same page? If any of you don't have sin, raise your hand, and I'm running, because lightning's coming. Um, no, we all sin. We all need grace. We all turn to God and say, I messed up in some way, shape, or form. He's not talking about sin. He's, either, he's talking about either a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, or in addition to that, he's talking about the culmination of your life. What, what is being seen in your life? In other words, he's saying, don't just look at outside results. See, Diotrephes probably had a big following, and he might have been a gifted teacher, and a lot of people may have been influenced by him. But John is telling the Gaius, don't look at those outward results. Look at the inner character of the person. What do you see in their life? What's the fruit of their life? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit evident in ever-increasing ways in their love, in their life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are you seeing those things more and more and more? Not just the results, not just the shiny, happy, everything's good. Uh, don't, don't just look what you see with somebody on a Sunday morning. Listen, people can fool you on a Sunday morning. You want to know the fruit of someone's life? Ask their spouse. And don't ask their spouse in front of them. Say, let's, let's get coffee. What, what's going on at home? Man, I'm telling you what. Ask their kids. What's dad like? and gets home from work. What's mom like? When everyone's yelling and screaming and chaos, does she just lose her nuts? Or is there love, joy, self-control, peace, patience, kindness? Or is there rage, anger, lying, slander, harshness, condescend, condes, uh, being condescending, controlling, manipulation? If you see those kind of things, run. Because that person the culmination of their life. I'm not saying struggling with things. I'm saying if you see that in ever-increasing, non-repentant, unchanging ways in their life, you don't even know if they know God. That's for God and him and, or her to sort out at the end of time. But I'm telling you, you need to not be influenced by that person. So what John's telling us is this, be very, very mindful of who influences you and who you imitate because we all are influenced by people and we all imitate people. We're influenced by who we read on the internet, the books we read, the, the blogs we listen to, and we imitate people whether we intentionally do it or not. My family will tease me all the time. Dad, you go into any place where they have an accent and you start talking with that accent. 
I just imitate those around me. They say, they, the person thinks you're making fun of them. I say, no, they don't. I'm not making fun of them. I think they can understand me better when I talk. <laughs> and they just, they just pray for me. No, no, we, we're influenced by people. We imitate people. And, and John's saying, be very mindful of that because it will set you on a course that you may not want to go down. You don't want to be someone who practices spiritual abuse. Don't be influenced by and imitate those who are spiritual abusers. So then John says, let me point you to somebody different. Because Diotrephes is there, and he's acting like this, but then there's this other man. And so John says this, everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same of him, and you know we speak the truth. In other words, John's saying, listen, don't look to Diotrephes as your example. Look to Demetrius. The truth of his life speaks for itself. The fruit of his life is evident. The fruit of the Spirit is there and it's ever increasing. That's who you should imitate. That's who you should want to be like. He's open to hearing the truth. He receives it into his life and he walks it out. You do the same thing. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to come alive in your life. So John is being very purposeful here because what he wants us to do is not just be wounded and dragging ourselves out of church after church because of spiritual abuse. He doesn't want us to experience it all. He wants it to be dealt with, but he says, if you have experienced it, learn what to look for in the next place you go. Look for someone or someones. Look for a team that are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in ever-increasing ways because then the truth itself will testify to it. And then John ends with a very typical greeting. It's almost exactly how he ends the, the letter uh, of 2 John. He says this, I have much more to say to you. You know, I, I never like it when he writes that. Or when Paul says, man, there's so much more I want to explain to you, but you're not mature enough to hear it. I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, why didn't you see fit to have John write more? Why didn't Paul explain those things? And then the Holy Spirit says, you know, they weren't mature enough to receive it. You probably aren't either. All right, well, then let's just move on. Uh, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen or ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give, please give my personal greetings to each of our friends. There's just a standard greeting. Hey, tell everybody I said hi. I love them. I miss them. I hope to see them soon. I hope they're doing well. Just a standard greeting or uh, 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 ending salutation. He's just saying goodbye. And I'll see you soon and we'll talk about some stuff because there's some things we need to talk about. We'll talk about it when we get there. And that's what we're going to do here in just a few minutes as a church family is we're going to talk about some things face to face. But that's the book of 3 John. He starts by saying, hey, it's very, very important. Something very meaningful happens when you partner with the mission of the local church. So keep on then he says, be on guard. Watch for the character in your leaders. Be mindful of spiritual abuse. And if you see spiritual abuse happening, deal with it. Shine a light on it. Don't let it take root because it will destroy and hurt and wound so many people so needlessly. And then he says, be mindful of who you imitate. Here's somebody that's of good character. Follow his example. 
then he says, I'll see you soon. So here's what I want to just do here this morning. Some of us have been through those wounding, hurtful church experiences. Spiritual abuse made to feel like somehow we don't know what's good, right, and holy that only this person over here does and we have to go to them even to know if we're allowed to buy a car. Who we're supposed to marry. When we're supposed to change jobs. I'm not talking about seeking counsel and asking advice. I'm talking about that if you don't follow their advice, you're outside the will of God. That's a dangerous thing. Some of you have been through those type things. I just want to pray for you. If you just close your eyes and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I don't know what everyone's experienced here. I don't know the journey that they've been on. I don't know the pilgrimage that they've walked. But God, I know for me, I bumped up against that a few times. And it hurts and it's painful. So God, I'm just so thankful that anyone who's experienced that has had the willingness to open themselves up one more time, to risk being hurt, to risk the pain. And God, I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit, you would pour healing into their hearts. Just as we prayed for Pastor Dale for physical healing, God, I'm asking now for spiritual healing, for emotional healing, for relational healing, for psychological healing. God, that they could trust again. God, I pray for the pastors and the leaders here that we would always be aware of how we speak and respond so that we would never be vessels of abuse, but God, always vessels of grace. God, I pray that where there's abuse, it will come to light. I pray that those who have experienced it would experience a new dynamic here at Hickory Ridge. God, we can't do it on our own, so we need you, and we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name I pray.